Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, as always, joined by the broadcasting, I'll say Hall of Famer, because he's in a few, the legend. Uh, he's called a lot of events. He's through and through a Notre Dame guy, too. I mean, I, I've read those stories up <laughs> on you about, you know, being running game tape for the Rudy game and all that, but... You're a tennis lifer as well, Ted Robinson. Pleasure to talk to you. Wow, Mitch, that's homework. Rudy, yeah, yeah that one rolls eyes when I tell people that. Uh, but that's, yeah, nothing nothing to do with tennis on that, but it's good old history. No, nice it, to be with you again. Yeah, it's, hey, you're, you know, you've worked in a lot of different sports, and I, and I love the fact that tennis kind of pulled you in, and this has become like your, you know, the standing standard mm-hmm. member in a lot of ways. Um, and, I, and I wanted to start with this because you have the perspective of all this, the, what's going on in different eras a lot's been made about the American tennis, the men's tennis. I say boom, resurgence in recent months, recent years. To all there isn't the major champion. We're hoping we get there, obviously. But there's some real depth to the game right now. Does this feel like a wave from your perspective? And do you see similarities with eras of the past where some young guys have kind of all collectively taken that next step together? Well, it's certainly the best wave in my life in tennis, which is 35 years or six now and counting. Um, and And... Look, I, I was lucky enough as a young tennis broadcaster to go through mm-hmm. the Sampras, Courier, Agassi, Chang run, which was extraordinary. And sadly, every successive generation has been compared to that. It's yeah. not fair. We all know that. This is the best wave we've had since then. You know, it, it, Can we get four top 10 guys out of this group? Sure. We can. Mm-hmm. Are they all four going to be number one? Or Michael never got to number one, but won a major. Or all four, yeah. all four won majors. I don't know if we're going to see that, but it's it's optimism, and and that's the best thing because I've lived through, and I I joke about this sometimes on the air with our colleagues that I've probably lived through five waves now <laughs> of men that have come through saying, okay, this is the wave that's going to unseat the big three, and when Andy was at his best, it was the big four, and it's took the, probably this fifth wave to have Alcaraz right. be, finally be the guy. Yeah. So I'm a little cautious about the American men, only from that standpoint. But there's certainly more reason for optimism with this group than we've had in a long time. Yeah, the first point is huge too, right? It's unfair to compare everyone to just a once-in-a-lifetime, not even generation, the Courier, Sampras, Agassi, Chang. Like That's just insane that four of the best players being from the same country. I'm optimistic. I, I love the fact that we've talked about it on this show that they're different styles or different personalities. There's more than one way to skin the cat, so to speak. These are players that play a different type of way. And I think it's good. And I think, you know, the cream will rise to the top, right? We don't know. That's what's so fun about this from our perspective is we don't know who's going to separate themselves. And I'll tell you something else that I think about this. And it, I know this can brush against perhaps hot button topics and I don't mean it this way, but I'm so excited that these American men and the women, but mm-hmm. In this case, we're specifically talking about the men. All have stayed in America to develop their tennis. They all have American coaches. Right. 
you know, we, we know how many players have come to the United States in the past, from Maria Sharapova mm-hmm. all the way through Osaka, et cetera, have come to the U.S. to take advantage of what this country can mm-hmm. offer in support, facilities, et cetera. And this group of American men has done the same, that Tommy Paul finally found the right coach to work with him mm-hmm. and Brad Stein that's unlocked Tommy's great potential. Mm-hmm. And Francis and Mackie McDonald going back to Wayne Ferreira, et cetera, and let alone Jesse and... And, and Coco Goff yeah. on the women's side. But to me, that's important, that it's been American-developed right. tennis. We're big on partnerships on this show and the process, so I think it's great. And you mentioned Brad Stein and what he's done, Taylor Fritz and the work he's put in with our own Paul Anacone and Michael Russell. Just, it's, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and it's great to see all this going. Well, before we go to what's going on this week, want to recap, you know, tie up smooth sends on last week, some stuff going down in the tennis world. Uh, Got to give props to the Dallas Open. It was a fun event. There was a lot of excitement there. Wu Yibing over John Isner in an exceptional match, one of the best third-set championship tiebreakers we've seen. But Wu Yibing, three years out of the game with injury, making history for his country, still just 23 years old, but had the first ATP player in this Open era from China to win a tournament and the highest-ranked Chinese man ever since the rankings ever came out. So props to him, who's got a lot of good tennis and hopefully good health in front of him. And I've been talking because Jimmy Arias has seen him quite a bit at the down in Florida at the academy, and he's telling me this, the young guy's legit. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know the backstory now, yeah. juniors' success and all that, um, but the, that the guy's legit. Uh, even though he's not huge by today's standard, he's big enough and has enough power. But bigger picture to me, having called the Lina breakthrough in Paris and seeing what happened when Lina became a champion, she then briefly became the high, the richest female athlete in the world. <laughs> yeah. Female athlete in the world, not yeah. tennis. Yeah. Athlete. That's what it means. So is this going to crack that sort of a door ajar for Wu Yibing and others yeah. who may follow behind because right. we've long waited for the Chinese men. Can I say some good comedic timing too in his post-game speech? He was, <laughs> he was you know, gracious in victory and he talked about how playing Isner, it was like, great, I didn't have to move too much when he was just acing right by me, but it was good. And, and I, I echo what you say. He had a lot of gifts out there and how he plays enough power, but cerebrally, he was very, very smart throughout yeah. the tournament. It wasn't just the big win over Isner. It was finding a way to beat Taylor Fritz. It was getting through Denis Shapovalov. This wasn't a one-off win. He earned this trophy. Sure. And and we also, yeah. it's a great example of tennis today, right? How small the margins can be. John Isner has the match won mm. <laughs> and misses the put away at the net that wins the match in a tiebreak. And of course, mm-hmm. we all understand that a lot of John's matches come yeah. down to that one point or two points in a tiebreak. So, this case, it goes to Wu Yibing, but the story it creates yeah. is someday we might look back and say that one point yeah. in that tiebreak in Dallas helped open the door for this incredible wave. It really could have. It's uh, remarkable to see. Uh, for John Isner, it was good to see him back into a final at his age, too. He's the lone old guard of these Americans in the top 50, top 100, whatever you want to say. So good to see him improving that, you know, even, even in his old age, maybe his game might age better than some because he's still got you know, arguably the greatest weapon in sports. Sure. And that's the last thing to go. Everyone, I've asked this question of our colleagues for years. The serve is the last thing to go. And as long as John can serve, I mean, Evo, what Evo went to 41 or 42, Mm -hmm. I think, didn't he? Yeah. Age wise. And John, we all know John has reduced his travel. He's not the biggest traveling guy. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to pick and choose where he plays now. He's earned that right. And rankings and all that probably don't matter as much to him. So yeah, we'll, we'll see more John. 
I want to, you know, and I, I fall into this trap like many people. We just talk about who wins the events, maybe who gets to the finals. So just showcase some people that had good results. J.J. Wolf getting into the top 40 now. Fourth round at Australia. Beats Francis Tiafo, Gives Isner a great match. So he's at a career high into the top 40. And that slice serve he has from the ad court is one of the greater weapons I've seen. So props to J.J. Wolf, a guy who, you know, last year was circling the top 100 range. And now he's into the top 40. Could be seated at some of these majors soon. Yeah, the quick breakthrough, and of course, Ben Shelton, as you, you've talked about him a lot with other guests on this, and you know, I remember last year seeing Ben, I think it was Atlanta, calling Atlanta from here in Santa Monica, but you know, getting a little scouting report from some people who knew him from the Challenger world, and the great kick serve, and my goodness, you saw that, <laughs> and that weapon is going to serve him well. I mean, he's, he's the other one that you say, yeah. okay, that game, I mean, you think about that at Wimbledon? You think that's a great that's a great marriage made in heaven, isn't it? Well, someone's gonna have to win these tournaments when yeah. the big three go, and we can't just circle pencil in pen and I guess Djokovic and Federer now anymore. Uh, the women's storyline that I wanted to get to: Belinda Benchitz wins in Qatar, mm-hmm. great fight, down you know facing adversity, beats Samson Samsonova. She's actually kept it going this week, which we're gonna get into. But Belinda Benchitz, we know working with Tursunov now, and there's been ups and downs in her career, but. Age is still young, still in her mid-20s after all the pro tennis she's played. I think there's a little bit of a, hey, don't forget about me with Belinda Benches. With all these names and contenders, she's still right firmly in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. And look, she's been there before, near the top, I should Mm -hmm. say. She doesn't have that major. But I I think women's tennis right now, the storylines are fascinating. They've been so for a while, especially since Ash Barty stopped. And Ega was the one that jumped in there. But the point is, Eagle won. We all know she won everything mm-hmm. last year, which means she's defending everything this year. Mm-hmm. And can she run that kind of a role again? Yeah. That's, that's that's those are long odds. As a result, there could be doors opening for lots of other players, like a Benchich, mm-hmm. like Jesse Pagula. Somebody win a couple of events now, not just be mm-hmm. semis and finals, but win a couple, and suddenly those ranking things could really move. There's something just really special to me that kind of shows what you're made of when she did what she basically did today, Benchich. She plays Azarenka after winning a tournament, travel, get to the new city, tougher matchup. We know Azarenka is tricky. She's down a set and a double break, 6-1-4-1, and she wins the match. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's wrong if you just don't have it and sometimes you're off and you lose those matches, but to dig deep and win a match where even if she lost, no one would be batting an eye or criticizing her just shows to me really some special stuff. And the other side of that coin is <laughs> Samsonova, who plays the final mm-hmm. Against Benchich is up a set, loses. Forty-eight hours later, has to walk out against a wild card, Kennan, yeah. and gets smoked. It's a cruel so sport. Pretty clear, the score line would tell <laughs> yeah. you there was a hangover yeah. for Samson. Yeah, it's a very cruel sport. Sometimes you just can't do much with it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of '90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. More with Ted Robinson here on Tennis Channel Inside In talking. Tennis, of course, throughout the month of February as we gear up for some big events. Next month, uh, looking at some of the storylines, let's go to the men in Rotterdam right now because there's some good action. I mean, I always, this time of year, there's tennis on all these surfaces. There's all these tournaments. It seems like pretty much everybody's playing. And one of the guys I wanted to focus on was Stefano Tsitsipas back onto the court after losing another Grand Slam final to Djokovic, one that 
I don't think he particularly played that poorly in, you know, obviously could raise his level at times, but survives a tricky match with uh, Imoru Savori and is back on the court where he plays, where he belongs. And this is starting to feel like there's some growth, I think, to head into his game and his approach to everything where he didn't have that, like we were just talking about hangover factor. He's back to work, takes the loss in stride. I do feel like there's some big things coming for Stefanos, and he's on the cusp, which you could say for several players. Sure. And look, the, you know, the, the people, I know Jim is, Courier's talked a lot about the technical aspects mm -hmm. of Sitsipas and improving the backhand, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so I'll let, I'll let the, the experts yeah, yeah. <laughs> deal with that, with that stuff. To me, it's more where his headspace is, and it goes all the way back to Wimbledon, where it was stunning the way he melted down on the court against Kyrgios. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, I think anybody listening to this knows what <laughs> happened a year in, and Torino event, et cetera. So where's his headspace? And where's his headspace vis-a-vis -vis dad and Philippousis, et cetera? So far, just gauging from distance yeah. as we watch, it looks better to start this year. I mean, I'm not a yeah, I'm not in the technical side of expert level by any means, but I think it's fair to say Philippousis's addition doesn't appear to be on the technical side. I think he's been a good influence yeah. on him on the other end. And I keep going back to that Australian semi against Hatchinoff when he blew a third set tiebreaker, should have won that match in straight sets. There was some footfall to time violation. Umpires were kind of being a little quick with him. He won the fourth set, ho, you know, ho-hum, went back to work. And I thought that might have been kind of an under-the-radar breakthrough because the past Stefanos might have just broken down, yeah. got into it, yelled at his box. So maybe there's some baby steps there. And, and you know, Mitch, the other headspace guy uh, in Rotterdam, and as we're speaking, I, I, we saw him play, and I called his match yesterday, is Medvedev, that's, yeah. who's, who's now 11. I mean, that's a steep fall and Medvedev's first match in Rotterdam he's unglued in the first set and he's going he's yelling at Gilles Savaris sarcasm all this stuff Kikina's that we've a seen tough in the opponent. and exactly yeah. and suddenly early second set it, it's like a switch flipped and Medvedev wrapped himself tightly again yeah. and just smoked he smoked him in the second and third so which it's, Medvedev are yeah. we going to see the it's, rest of this week in Rotterdam isn't it still insane where he's at now compared to where he was 14 months ago like the pecking order of the game. And I don't know that it's all fair to say that he's just completely become ungood. I think there may have been an overinflation of he took advantage of a Nadal not being there, of Djokovic kind of being in and out. And we know tennis players make adjustments. There's film just like there's film in every sport. 11 does seem weird, though. Like, not in the top 10, Daniil Medvedev doesn't yeah. exactly seem like it's the right place. Yeah, and if Rafa ends up there, as most people think, is going to happen by, what, mid-March or so? End of an era, too. Right, exactly happens. what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. a streak. I mean, that's the, that, to me, is the Cal Ripken version <laughs> yeah. of tennis, where you can become a prisoner of that. Mm -hmm. Rafa can't play just to save that streak. Mm -hmm. He has to play when he's right. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, Will, you're right. It will be bizarre to see a double-digit yeah. in front of his name. I think Medvedev's game still, pr still provides mismatch. Matches. And I think the fall from the ranking, obviously the meltdown of the loss in Australia to Nadal, but some bad draws. He hit Kyrgios a few times when another, you know, comically underseated guy. I think he'll be back in the top 10. Now, the better discussion would be, is he going to get back to that major contender yeah. level? And that with not just who's back, but also who's rising could be tough. Yeah, because we constantly, I feel like in, <laughs> in the sport, we constantly focus on other players. And Medvedev's been in four finals. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's faced Rafa and Novak in all four, which is, again, that's the still that's still the, the it's the last vestiges of this incredible mm -hmm. era. Um, you know, someday like most of these guys hope, hey, can somebody else do the heavy lifting for me? Right. Somebody else knock one of these guys off and give me a better shot. Right, I wonder how much of it, and I don't want to take anything away from this next generation that's making waves, but the the prior generation might be saying, well, you're getting these guys a little older yeah. than we got them. So 
I, I actually, and I'll ask you this, because another guy in this tournament, Alexander Zverev, is coming back from just a horrific injury, for lack of a better term, and, you know, obviously psychologically that has effects. He's not, I think it's safe to say, anywhere near 100% yet, but he's finding, trying to progress towards that. I've been impressed with just him battling out there. Like, I know this is not neat, and it's fair to say he might never get to that level, but I've been impressed with the fact that he's out there just fighting. Like, it's not yeah. elite Zverev, but at least he's showing that he's willing to roll up his sleeves a little bit. And I'll go back to the headspace question with him, too, because he's he's dealing with two things, the injury, clearly, but also the, the allegations mm-hmm. that... I don't know if we can with certainty say that the case is closed, but Mm -hmm. it had that appearance of the recent announcement of the ATP's investigation. And regardless, in the court of public opinion, which is where this whole thing has been tried out, and a lot of people Mm -hmm. have convicted Zverev. So how is he dealing with that in his headspace? Yeah, and lost some, uh, you know, agency representation, sponsorships. We know that. Well, he's still on court there. This has been a fun tournament. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Stan Varenka. Another win today over Gasquet. Maybe, okay, serves the first thing to go. One-handed backhand that Stan has is the second. Well, that's bad. (laughs) And, you know, that win today for Stan, that's a great point because that puts him right on the cusp of 100 Mm. which, of course, if he wins one more match, he should be inside 100, and that would get him into Roland Garros straight. Yeah, he's had success on this Rotterdam tournament before. There's been a lot of opportunities here. Um, we, we've seen some matches there. I want to transition to Delray, though, for a second, because <laughs> that, that's kind of really taken the tennis world by storm. And uh, Mikitic, the guy who won that match last night, the Croatian from Princeton, isn't even a full-time tennis player. He beats Jack Sock last night. He's a real estate developer. He's got their all-time wins leader at Princeton. And the other fun note about him, why he was known in the tennis space, is Djokovic picked him because he's lefty to practice with him to emulate Nadal before a match. Oh, and now gosh. here, he, and now here he is getting. And he looked like he was trying to emulate Nadal a little bit out there last night. But you know, tough one for Sock's perspective. But 33-year-old semi-pro practicing with you know a 70-year-old as a hitting partner. And suddenly he's winning a main draw match. I, I don't think this sport gets enough credit for how many storylines that there are. Yeah, so quick aside on something you just mentioned. Someday, somebody, you know, so one of our great Joel Drucker, Pete Bodo, the great <laughs> legendary tennis writer, should compile the list of left-handed players that have been summoned to practice with Roger and now Novak because of Rafa. Yeah. I mean, Roger is renowned for bringing every left-hander that was breathing yeah. and could serve 110 would go to Dubai, and, yeah. and he'd work with them to try to prep for his matches with yeah. Rafa. So I didn't know that <laughs> yeah. about Pizzatich, so that's yeah. an interesting one. Um, look, uh, uh, the story, we won't go into any length here, but Pete Bodo wrote a great story on our website, tennis.com. Yeah. More detail of the story. It's insane <laughs> how it happens. I mean, it is... It's Rudy and Hoosiers and all of it rolled into yeah. one. And the, and the amazing thing is Jack Sock in the first set looks like he has this in his pocket. And maybe Jack thought that. Maybe he relaxed a little bit because he fell apart. And this kid, guy, I shouldn't say, <laughs> yeah. you know, working for an investment company. Harvard Business School, by the way. You talk about playing with nothing to lose. <laughs> so if I lose this match, yeah. I fall back. I just have a Harvard Business yeah. School degree. No problem. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry for uh, to our own Leif Shiris, you know, Princeton guy. He might be losing a little luster on that corner. But <laughs> no, it was impressive to see. Again, tough one for Sock. But this, this is why we watch the sport for these upsets and just opportunities there. So I want to give him credit and props. Uh, other story last night, Marcos Corona in straight sets over Ben Shelton. Never going to never gonna say or begrudge anyone for losing to Marcos Corona, who's gotten his tennis right at 29 years old, yeah. playing the best in his life. But for Ben Shelton, and kind of going back to Leaf, because we talked about this last month or a couple weeks ago, 
Ben Shelton's riding the wave of pro tennis, and the wave was pretty good when he started out in Australia and everything was good. We, we kind of, you know, assess the fact that no one's perfect. There's going to be ups and downs. It's how you deal with losses and how you respond from them to make great champions. So I'm not batting an eye at the fact that Shelton lost this match. Certainly he can improve, but we're in this stage now where it's like, okay, let's see how you respond from a setback. Mm-hmm. And I would look at an analogy to other sports too. Where So Ben Shelton was you know, a terrific college player, mm-hmm. but the pro circuit probably didn't know much about him. And suddenly he comes in and just arrives fast. Now there's, there's a library on him. Yeah. And scouting reports are going to mm-hmm. happen. And this happens across all sports. At some point, people figure out what we can do to try to neutralize you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it's on you to counteract that. Mm-hmm. And it does become a chess match, right? Yeah. And especially in a one-on-one sport, it's going to be a chess match, right? You're going to stop me or slow me down from doing this. What can I come back with? That may be the next step for Ben Shelton. I would venture to say without looking, obviously, at all the data, and you would know better than I would, but a lot of rankings have gone kind of up, down, and up. Like I don't think there's a lot of clean ascents from like all the way through. I think when you, and I saw with Taylor Fritz, I think six or seven years ago, he broke out of the top 50 really quickly with no points to defend, stumbled back a little bit, and then made the adjustments and raised up. So there's nothing, I think we get spoiled again. It's a, it's a cliche. We all get spoiled by the elite of the elite that just are able to Alcaraz their way to number one in a couple of years. Yeah. And I think we're just out. Of, it feels like we're just out of the COVID affected mm-hmm. rankings phase, but we still have the Wimbledon and I'll use yeah. my own opinion, the Wimbledon nonsense, the t- terrible decision that the tours made last year to well, not it give was. the points to it Wimbledon. It messed up so much. Yeah, it messed just my up. opinion, but yeah, I yeah. just think it hurt so yeah. many more people mm-hmm. than it, and it effectively mm-hmm. tried to help. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to get fixed until this summer. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, the one thing I'll say on this tournament, we're just kind of getting rolling, but the field has Taylor Fritz, J.J. Wolf, Shapovalov, Tommy Paul. Last year's champion's not in it. It was Cam Norrie, and I bring that up because that set his year into motion. Yeah. So there is a lot of momentum here that can be won because you take this, maybe Acapulco, into the Sunshine Double, this is a nice little uh, appetizer for the start of the season. See, and I think that goes back to my big picture again, which is how I look at these <laughs> things at this age in life, but it's it's how many, so the Americans can play at home, right? Yeah. You come back from Australia, if you made the trip, you come back and you have Dallas, Delray, now you're going to have March, and then Houston for the men, Charleston for the women, yeah. you have two solid months where you can stay in the States before at whatever point you choose to go back right. to Europe. And I just think that's great. We need this. Mm-hmm. And you know, the challenger circuit has tried to address this and give us more challengers yeah. in the US for those opportunity players. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is a good thing to see. I'm never gonna go against having tennis events in your home country. My critique, and I'm curious to see what you think, is with the clay court swing going on in South America, I just think they're worth too many points in the 500 level. That's just my opinion there. I think that kind of can inflate the rankings. I think the events are great. I just, I don't know. That's where I'm at. So you're saying the clay court events are giving 500s out. Yeah. Okay. Those 500s I don't agree with, but I'm all for, because I get it. You're from, if you're from South America, you want to play at home just like Americans want to play at home. Right. You're giving more opportunities for tennis players to earn a living and make money. I'm just not, I'm not there with the 500 level event there. And I would, I would, I would offer this back, Mitch, in saying it. I've said this this week Mm -hmm. sitting in, this incredible venue we have here mm-hmm. where we get the screens and we see mm-hmm. the matches from four different continents. And for the men, they're playing three tournaments on three totally different surfaces. That is cool. <laughs> I think that's yeah. that. Var- yeah. I mean, we can't have that 52 weeks a year. I know that, but for mm-hmm. a few weeks out of the year, that variety is good. Yeah. I think it's good for the sport to have that. If 
find my, uh, I, I can't agree with Kyrgios too much <laughs> when I find myself in lockstep there. Uh, more Ted Robinson here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, the ladies in Qatar right now, and that's just the loaded field. I mean, the, the counter-tabbing kind of everybody spread out is when these women events, and, and the men have these events too, but some of these fields are just brutal. I mean, the qualifying to get in here was just outstanding. Yeah. But it is the place where it all pretty much started last year for Iga, and it kind of started again with a bang today. She beats Danielle Collins, 6-love, six 6-1, six 53 minutes off the court. The process-oriented approach she takes, very similar to Nadal, her idol in that regard. But I also wonder, in the back of my mind, as just a sports fan, if she didn't have this one circle. Daniel Collins was the one that beat her in Australia last year. So maybe yeah. this was a time for a little revenge moment for her. But Iga just back on track and looks better than ever. Yeah, that's a great opening mm-hmm. sign, isn't yeah. it, to what I talked about, yeah. having to go and defend a, you know, a, a huge amount of mm-hmm. points uh, coming up. And look, Iga's now going to play... In fact, Jimmy Arias made a great point to me uh, on air the other day that I hadn't thought about. It's different when you play for the first time as a defending champion. Felix Auger-Aliassime is doing that in Rotterdam mm. as we speak. And I hadn't thought about it that way. As a former mm-hmm. player, he did. Well, Iga's going to be a defending <laughs> champion with a target on her back for the entire spring, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. So how does she handle that? Because her lead is, as right now we understand, the lead in the race is massive. Everybody's targeting her and they think, okay, she can't run the table again like she did last Mm -hmm. year. Am I going to be the one to step up? Somebody eventually is going to push that number one rank. Who's it going to be? The two things that impressed me the most with her from what I've seen, her attention to detail with her schedule, even last year when she was on a tear, she would take the time off. She skipped one of the clay court tournaments. I think it was Madrid. Uh, but but also the fact that she, in the individual matches, with this pressure on you, she plays kind of downhill. Like, she plays fast. She doesn't really get caught in the moment. She manages her nerves. You never feel like she's kind of, for lack of a better phrase, looking at the lights. So I think she's so in the moment, credit to what she's doing on and off the court in that regard. But if anyone's capable of handling the, like you said, the amount of just insane pressure that's going to be thrust upon her, it is ego. And, and I think that's a great point, Mitch, and I'll – go through the wider lens again, that Sviantec's willingness and and pushing into the forefront, the fact she has what umbrella term, mental performance coach, mm-hmm. Daria, that is, is huge. It's obviously been wildly successful for Iga Sviantec. Yeah. But what I see, for example, in my work around college sports now, it's becoming in the last year standard for college teams in America to have mental performance coaches or whatever similar phrase you want to use. Mm -hmm. And I think it's to the point where in the next year, if you don't have it, it will be a mark against you. So I give, I give Sviantec's public stance of that a lot of credit for elevating this into the forefront. She has been on the forefront for that. Her tennis has been exceptional. This field has no shortage though of contenders to her throne. And we saw Jessica Pagula rally over Ostapenko, save the match point in the third set, wins the last couple games there on the trot and just, you know, everything she's been with, the Players' Tribune article opening up about her mom's health. She's someone that has kind of like a lot of athletes compartmentalized a lot of the stuff that she's experiencing. But she's been on the verge. She's been one of the best three or four players in the world. And it's nice to see that she's still in the fight and still very much a threat to winning some of these championships. You no, know, and it's great because you, you tell that story. And, of course, we all read the, the mm-hmm. piece you're referencing. And it was an incredibly an incredible admission. Um, it puts a lot of things in perspective. And it helps in the sense of you feel like you really are rooting for someone who's, mm-hmm. you know, could have chosen multiple other avenues in life <laughs> and chose yeah. what she did tennis with very little help. She just went on her own and yeah. did this and has been a grinder. And you, I feel like 
this name that we sadly don't hear anymore, Jenny Brady. I yeah. feel like it's the same way. I feel like I, you root for Pagula the same way you rooted for Jenny Brady to do it. And I hope there's a way back for her. I don't know what the current state of, mm-hmm. of Brady's health is, but that's where Pagula is. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure... You know, I would again defer to Lindsay's of the world which one, which major she thinks would be Pagula's best chance. Hmm. But I'm suspecting this year she's going to get one more run of these last three yeah. at, at taking that that coveted crown. That's a that's a good question. I almost feel like it would be Clay, but that's also Ega's best surface. So that, why, that, exactly. skews right. the, that skews it there. Um, no, I mean, in rebounding from a tough loss, too, we talk about that. Azarenka match, not good on all fronts by her, just not a good match. But Back, head on straight, ready to roll. So yeah. love to see that. Love to see Coco Goff today beat Kvitova in a very methodical, you know, workmanlike, workwomanlike approach. Yeah. Like it wasn't the flashiest match, but she dealt with a big server and she really got into the long rallies where she had the advantage. And I think that was just another sign of Coco becoming a professional. And it, that's <laughs> a great point, Mitch. So here's my question. Have we gotten to the point now where we expect Coco Goff to win a match like that today? I think so. That we say she should win that match? Yeah, and in one hand, it could be looking at, like, we're just raising the bar so high unfairly, but on the other side, that's how good she is. That's why I'm asking the question. It's fascinating because she's still 18. I mean, she's coming up on a birthday, but still 18. And that's extraordinary to think this is a player that was a major champion, was number one, and we sort of think that's a match Coco should win. I think in the past she might have played with, the, you know, a little too, like that Shapovalov style, too close to the margins. But today it was like, I'm going to be efficient. I'm going to find a way to get on and get off. And another one like Fagula where I would say Clay best surface, Ego's yeah. best surface issue there. But she's a threat on all on all surfaces. And I think when you move like the way that she does and you've gotten a little bit better at the weaknesses of the game, still room to growth. But, I mean, there, there's a reason why we put these expectations on her because she has the game and more, maybe more importantly, the mental makeup to make these runs. Yeah, and integrate that in, in this conversation, we're talking about so many American players of both yeah. both genders yeah. that have successes and have yeah. chances and have reached finals and have, you know, Daniel Collins. I mean, you mentioned right. it, forget she had a shot. Yeah. And I, I just think that's where where tennis is in a much better place because we're not focusing on mm-hmm. one, two, four. I mean, as great superstars as we've had, yeah. we're not just focusing on them. And we mentioned earlier, Kennan got the win over Samsonova before losing. Uh, that was her first top 20 win since the Roland Garros, semifinal, Roland Garros run in 2020. So it's been a long time coming. So hopefully there's some progress there. It's been baby steps, a lot of injury stuff. But good to see Kennan, another American, kind of trying to get back on track. Yeah. And that's, again, there's another one, which I guess is a reflection of the sport. That's mm-hmm. another headspace question to me. Where is Kennan's headspace right now? Um, because it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Now it's been a while, and when it's been that long since you've tasted success, mm-hmm. um, you know how many w- wins in a row does she need to rip off mm-hmm. to get that feeling back? Because she was as I mean, I, I remember in Australia, twenty twenty, being there with Tennis Channel, and and calling her run, but in the early parts of it, picking her as a dark horse because I said I I just know in sport you can give me all the measurables you want. At some day, it's about winning and losing. Yeah. And this player wins a lot more than she loses. And that was the, that defined Kennan and that defined yeah. her in that Australian Open. There was something about how she stalked around but still had her level Absolutely. high. I just thought yeah. I was a fan too. The quarterfinals are set in this one. It's good. Well, not set. We still have one match left. But Iga Bencic could be a great match. Pagula, Beatrice, Haddad, Maya, Coco, Goff, Kudamertova. And then Sakari's waiting on the winner of this Mukova and uh, Garcia match, which I think Garcia's losing right now as we record this. But it's a pretty good final eight. Slam worthy, I would even say. Of course. Well, I mean, you said, I I don't know the details. This is a business question of why Doha can't expand 
because you I'm had, with you. I don't know the answers either, but I just feel like it'd be the logical. Just make one more round. <laughs> and I looked. Up, I looked up on the you know the apps yeah. that we all use. Yeah. Sunday, I'm looking at yeah. the draw and the qualifying field, and I'm laughing out loud. Carolina Pliskova. coming down here because yeah. Carolina Pliskova is playing Layla Fernandez in a qualifying match. I mean, yeah. that's defines the depth of that yeah, field. I'd take that fourth round in a slam any day. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, it's one of those matches. Well, we can end with this, the clay tournament. We haven't seen it yet, but uh, it's coming up tonight after we record this. Carlos Alcaraz's return in Buenos Aires. And we're all expecting it. I know the odds makers have him as a prohibitive favorite, showing him a level of respect worthy of a former number one in the U.S. Open champion. But the quote that I liked was, he says, I, I kind of want that number one ranking back. It was... It hurt to see Djokovic take that from me. So maybe this isn't just the gracious, I'm you know, happy to be along and challenge the GOAT. Like, I, I want number one again. So that's, I think, what we're all hoping for. And good to see that the fight's still there. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, there's, there's candor, but then there's yeah. also the diplomacy that Rafa has is a Hall of Famer <laughs> yeah. in diplomacy, right, in his career about those kinds yeah, of comments. Yeah. So it's interesting. Look, I, you know, there's, there's a side of me that I can't deny. I, I've got to think that this break is good for Alcaraz because uh -huh. he played a ton last year. We know, uh -huh. we all know how much in the U S open was crazy playing the amount of tennis he did the hours at which he was playing. And then certainly by the end of the year, you could see it had to take a toll on him. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm expecting personally without any firsthand knowledge that I'm going to see a refreshed revitalized. Is he 20 yet? No, he's not 20 not yet. Until the so, spring. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he'll, he'll look like the, he'll still have the teenage bounce then. Fitness is never going to be a yeah. question. You know, health, obviously we're all hoping that you can never be too sure about that, but yeah, it's a, it's a good way to ease him back into it. We know he can adjust surfaces and then he'll go to Indian Wells, Miami, where the legend really began. So that's where he's going back to really keep it going. And I'm excited to see what this sport has to offer for the next wave of guys, because for all of Djokovic's brilliance, Nadal's still hanging around, and we have some other guys. But this is the the classic story of sports: is the young guys saying, "No, it's mine now. It's right. time to step away." And we have it, and you you hit it there, Mitch. March will be Sviantek and Alcaraz, right? Mm -hmm. It's where they both made their real mm -hmm. impact, especially doing it in the states last year. Last thing from this event: good to see Dominic Team get a win. Yeah, big win for him over Molkan, a top fifty caliber player there, and uh, Clay being a good spot for him. Want to see the wrist hold up? He'll be thirty this year, so still hoping to kind of make that resurgence. It's a tough; it's been as tough a go for him as anyone. Good to see Dominic Team, one of the good guys that the sport really benefits from having. Yeah, and I think we've looked at Team over the last year or so, and at least I certainly have wondered. The comp is obvious. Does he have a Delpo mm -hmm. run in him? You know, Delpo yeah. had how many surgeries on his wrist, and Delpo one time was able to come back and make a good run, eighteen U.S. Open, and, yeah. and make a push. Oh. And that was probably his last best. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping Dominic Team has one last best run in him. It would be great to see. Uh, hoping for the best for Dominic Team. Uh, Ted Robinson, this was a blast. Always a pleasure talking with you. Good to do it in person. We just got to get, you know, you got to get me ready down the road for some of these marathons that you've run in. I want to crock. I want to. <laughs> a long time ago. Knock it off my bucket list. So I know you're the guy I've been told to ask. Oh, well, uh, well, I'll say quickly I did run New York and I ran Boston, yeah. which was an honor, but my favorite one, the most fun, was Dublin. Okay. You run All a right. marathon in Dublin. Wow. And the pints go down really nicely. And after good weather? That. Good weather that day? Oh, no, it was no, awful. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it was yeah. classic Ireland weather. It yeah. was like four different climates in, <laughs> over the course of four hours yeah. of running. Right. It was four different climates. Marathon, some Guinness. I think I can be talked into that. Uh, Ted Robinson, always Do a pleasure. Do it while you're young, Mitch. Trust me. <laughs> always a pleasure talking tennis with you, Ted. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. 
huge thanks to Ted Robinson for appearing as this week's guest on Tennis Channel Inside In. Always a blast talking to a member of the California Sports Hall of Fame. Inducted last year, big thanks to Ted Robinson. You can catch him on Tennis Channel's broadcast coverage, as well as calling Pac-12 basketball throughout the winter. Thanks to Ted Robinson. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A reminder, you can catch every episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. We're on all your podcast platforms. Hit that like, hit that subscribe button, and share the episode with your family and friends. We will be back next week. More tennis in the month of February. We're gearing up for the Sunshine Double with a lot of cool events in between. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you again to Ted Robinson. Thank you again to everybody out there listening. This was Tennis Channel Inside In, and we'll see you next week. 